uh, Amidra Salum. I uh, I'm a I'm an engineer, an IT engineer uh, by uh, by training. Uh, I've been working in IT for a good old 17, 18 years now. Um, I have been. Uh, I mean, I started my career in the software engineering, software development, you know, area, and then I kind of, uh, you know, transitioned uh, towards um, architecture, enterprise architecture, and 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 around 2013, 14, I I, um, I moved to the world of cloud and infrastructure modernization. So I stayed in this in the space for uh, for ten years now. Right. Um, yeah. So. Uh, at, at the moment, I uh, I've been with uh, Marks and Spencer for about uh, for about three years. Right. I lead the cloud uh, transformation, the cloud platforms teams as well, and uh, I'm also responsible for the core uh, for core infrastructure modernization work as well. Nice. Yeah. So I guess a bit of, it'd be good to kind of understand a bit about Marks and Spencer's because obviously I know it more obviously from the high street um, more than anything else. Yeah. But obviously, there's more to it. I guess from like logistics, manufacturing, not just like I guess on the surface, you just think of it as just a shop, you know, retail shops and clothes and other things. But it'd be good to kind of understand from your perspective, like what it encompasses, because I know we were just speaking before about just the logistics side and things like that that have to go on in consideration. So mm -hmm. it'd be good to get an overview, really, of Marks and Spencer's from your perspective of like what's involved. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, Marks and Spencer is a, you know, is a historic British retailer. I mean, yeah. I mean there's, it, it doesn't it doesn't need any 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 introduction or any further introduction than that. I mean, uh, high street high street shops. Um, I guess one of the important things about Marks and Spencers that we, we don't often talk about, I'd say, is um, is the trust behind a brand. Right, right, and I think this is really, really important because it really incarnates the values of the business, and it really uh, incarnates how people actually work and collaborate. Um, it, it is the common denominator for all things that we do, whether it's on IT or you know in the foods business or clothing and home. We we are really, really behind this trusted brand, hmm. and um, it's really the main driver for all things that we deliver. Right at, at the end of, at the end of the day, so I think this is this is really what defines, um, you know, Marks and Spencer is probably what differentiates Marks and Spencer against its uh, its competition. Mm. It's definitely known for quality, yeah. I think, as well as especially from the food side. Yes, um, as it's like quite posh, isn't it? I suppose in in, in British terms, that's yeah. how kind of, it's kind of considered. But so then the the bits you've been worked from the cloud transformation element, yeah. um, what did that kind of encompass, I guess, what was the key motivator to even do a transformation project at all? Well, for me, um, I think like like all uh, companies, and, and I mean, those that I have uh, worked with in the past, um, IT becomes a, a pile of technologies over the years. Mm -hmm. And we accumulate complexities and cost dependencies and in legacy systems, et cetera, et cetera. And then, you know, all of a sudden when we zoom out and we look at all of these things and we go, oh my God, I mean, how did we wind up in this place? Like, and how do we, um, how do we continue to modernize and be agile as a business with, 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 with systems are so complex and so intermingled. Uh, and I think, uh, as, I, as I said, I mean, we've got to that position where we looked at these uh, systems and said, we have to do something about this. I mean, we cannot continue to modernize the business 
um, we cannot continue to drive you know our business lines forward whether it's foods whether it's clothing and home or retail operations or DC operations that sort of thing uh, with old uh, legacy systems so I think that was the the trigger mm. uh, and and I think it, it is it is definitely a business transformation that's driving the technology transformation yeah. uh, so in that in that context as I said I'm, I'm, uh, I'm responsible for um, making sure that we leverage the cloud as a technology or as a catalyst to this business transformation and we, we do it in a, in, a, in a best possible way uh, we've been partnering with Microsoft uh, Azure as our uh, primary uh, hyperscaler and at the moment we are trying to uh, to look at a multi-cloud uh, multi-cloud polycloud strategy right okay uh, yeah so so because we think that that there are technology capabilities um, um, you know from other from other players and we do not want to miss those right um, so yeah so and, and what I think about cloud platform is really uh, how do we modernize applications how do we leverage cloud native architectures um, um, not just in a customers and channels area but across the board um, you know um, we're thinking about mi migrating and modernizing our um, warehouse management system our SAP systems in, is in the pipeline for modernization so so yeah so we are really modernizing uh, you know our, our tech stack and as I said I mean these are long projects yeah um, and it takes a lot of effort a lot of investment a lot of resources and we have to invest in our people to be able to, to achieve that and, and when did it I guess it was a, when did you start the project when was the kickoff I guess for you guys when you started to look at Azure I guess was that the first cloud you chose? Is it Azure was the first one? Was yeah, it? yeah, yeah. So obviously, as a you know, as a, as a retailer, we we did not want to uh, invest too much on Amazon, Amazon Web Service. I mean, we considering yeah. Azure and, and AWS being the, the leaders. This is quite space. common in retail, isn't it? It is quite because common because they're obviously retail. retail so yeah. it's a little bit like yeah, yeah. Um, so so the obvious choice was was obviously uh, Microsoft Azure, um, and I guess the journey started about three and a half years ago. Um, right where we as i said i mean we we did not start with the exploratory phase of cloud like you deploy some small workloads small applications and then you you know you learn right way in, through yeah. we kind of went you know full swing we deployed uh, a massive e-commerce platform we, we we actually written the whole e-commerce platform um which was done in i would say blood sweat and tears and um and yeah and then we learned our way um, you know in in that process uh, we started to deploy uh, applications and the first type of cloud resource or services that we were looking at is IaaS, basically is VMs which is the easiest way to deploy yeah. an application right so you spin up a VM you just deploy the code you deploy the database in there and off you go and then we started to look at the containers things like Kubernetes mm. um, and we have deployed uh, something between 100 and 120 applications into a Kubernetes. So now our, our Kubernetes estate has, has grown to something around 76 AKS clusters, which is wow. quite quite significant. That is, a, that is significant. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, so it's been it's been a it's been a learning journey. I think it, it was a there was a pivotal point um, in uh, I guess in 2021 where we said we have to revisit our foundation, our core foundation, to be able to scale up. Yeah. you know this platform so we had to review our network architecture to uh, adopt some of the best practices from that perspective we've reviewed our identity and access management systems to be more secure 
Um, we have uh, collaborated very closely with our colleagues from information security to have a strong data governance and data privacy, um, you know, policies and, and processes and, and, and tooling, et cetera, et cetera. And, um, and uh, CICD, continuous integration, continuous deployments, yeah. bread and butter for cloud. Uh, yeah, yeah. And we are, in, we are continuing our journey. Did you, um, did you look at the CAF, the, the well-architected framework for Azure, you know, the landing zone stuff? Yes. Is that what you adopted first? Because it was probably three and a half years ago, not as mature as it maybe is now, but... Yeah. Um, so the, the well-architected framework was for us, you know, the... Um, you know, the blueprint for our landing zone. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously, uh, we didn't want to implement WAF um, just as is. So we wanted to look at the components that made sense for us. Yeah. And, you know, we've changed some of the other components to, you know, to, uh, to accommodate some of the, uh, um, you know, some of the specific policies, for example, yeah. or, or, or uh, compliance requirements uh, for us. But it, it was it was a really good good place to start. Yeah, they're quite good sure. at that, actually. I think they've done a really, like compared to most of the cloud vendors, yeah. they've got quite a mature view of an enterprise of like all the right capabilities for like policy and governance and connectivity yeah, and identity. Absolutely. Like they've laid it out quite well compared yeah. to yeah. the other cloud vendors. Yeah. So I was quite impressed, really, because I wasn't like, I was more Amazon historically, and then moved into kind of learn Azure, mm -hmm. and then you start to com get to compare a bit, and you're like, ah, oh, actually, it's quite, yeah, quite enterprise driven and architected, which yeah. I think makes it a lot easier for large scale organisations yeah. to move into it because they've yeah. thought about all the things that enterprises care about. Yeah, now um, it's interesting because because when you when you think about you know um, Microsoft as a as an enterprise, I mean they. They come from the world of enterprises. I mean, yeah, they work with big yeah. corporations. So I think they're very much familiar uh, with how enterprise or big companies will actually adopt their technologies. Amazon comes from a different place. They come from retail, which is B2B, B2C, yeah. consumer-based platforms, which is a completely different place. I mean, even though I think they were the leaders in terms of deploying cloud yeah. for their own purposes, and then it, you know, it became you know AWS. Um, so yeah, and and you're right. I think I think the landing zone uh, and the well-architected framework is definitely something that was. Um, beneficial for us mm. because it, it it really alleviated the uh, the pain of having to learn maybe sometimes to the detriment of security to the detriment of not being able to leverage the platform to the fullest uh, so uh, so yeah and and as to your point uh, this this well architected framework is something that continues to you know to yeah. to, to grow uh, because those platform, whether it's Azure, Google, or Amazon, continue to deploy new services, you know, or, you know, and and it's ever ever changing. So we have to adapt to that to that change as well. Yeah, yeah. that's very cool. So so the e-commerce then, um, when you decided to do that, um, I think you mentioned to me before it was it was pre-COVID times. Yeah. Um, so I guess why I guess a good question like why that service overall was that was it struggle was it like constraints on like reliability like was it on-prem originally like mm -hmm. where i guess it'd be kind of interesting to know what what it was made up of before you moved it yeah so it's uh it was obviously it was a proprietary uh tech stack um yeah. and yes it was running on premises and i think we we realized uh and, and this is probably a drive a common driver for all um migrations to cloud is we we realized that capacity is limited on yeah. premises and you can only scale up to whatever hardware you have, whether it's compute power, whether it's storage uh, space. 
And, you know, when you design an e-commerce platform, I think one of the requirements is to be able to scale, you know, up and down yeah. regarding, um, you know, uh, your, your um, um, the number of, 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 of client of customers connected to the platform and, and, and also depending on the periods of the year where you want to launch promotions and you're expecting some, you know, some, some, uh, some hits on, on the website. Uh, so yeah, so we soon realized that, you know, this platform cannot grow and cannot scale unless we, uh, pour a lot of CapEx into it. Mm. Uh, so I think that was the, the trigger where we, um, where we uh, we decided to to move it to to a place where we can have access to those features in in a in a in a push button really we didn't have to buy any hardware or you know invest any capex basically just scaling up or scaling down depending yeah. on on, on traffic um and uh, and yeah and i think the results were astonishing i mean we managed to uh to, to deploy the platform obviously we didn't do a like-for-like -like deployment so we leveraged this opportunity to start rethinking about the design of the of the of the website engaging with some ux and ui kind of experts to really revamp some of the uh, some of the elements of the website um so yeah so it was a really really um you know um massive massive transformation did you do like a full lift and shift first and then modernize or did Correct. you try and, yeah you yes. were like let's yeah. Let's yeah. get the reliability and scalability exactly. first. Exactly. And then worry about like exactly. improvements afterwards because exactly. then you've got a quick benefit without slowing it down, haven't you? Yeah, yeah that way. Yeah. I guess then the reward post COVID, I guess when the COVID hit, um, which is quite lucky, I guess, in some ways because it was unpredictable. Yes. Yeah. Um, then I guess you got to capitalize on the scale of the cloud and then the demand coming in, obviously, digitally. And then so then it was like, actually, this was definitely worth it. Um, yes, and yeah. and what's also interesting to say is you know because we've deployed the e-commerce platform, um, we could we could also benefit from that foundation to deploy other applications or other websites. An, an example is Click and Collect. I mean, when COVID hit, Click and Collect became commodity, right? Yeah. So the teams were able to quickly develop and deploy the Click and Collect to you know to different places, and and thanks to, the, to you know to the to the way we've adopted cloud for e-commerce that gave us this you know uh, this competitive. Uh, advantage to be able to deploy those apps uh, quickly, right? How did you do the the connectivity stuff? I guess because it would have been in other systems, the e-commerce would have needed to speak to. Did it? I don't. I, to be fair, I'm just guessing. I'm guessing there's like maybe, I don't know, like the ordering system or like the logistics element of like the processing of orders and things like that, which I'm presuming would have been still on prem. Yes. Um, and was that tricky to? get them to still integrate or was that just more just pretty much connectivity based and that was that or well i think there's it's a it's a it's a combination of network infrastructure yeah so connectivity between the cloud environments and on-premises in, in, in environments is key so uh we rely on the express route connectivity between azure and, and on-premise on-premise <coughs> sorry um in terms of the integrations we do have a scalable integration platform both on-premises and in the cloud so um um we we did migrate some of the integration services into cloud but we haven't done a full migration so um, most applications that the e-commerce website would rely on would sit on-prem mm. and the integration piece of that is on-premises things like order management system warehouse management system uh, customer ordering all of these things on all of the data flow that comes from the website all the way down to the you know to the back-end system has to flow through the express route all the way down to the integration serve integration layer and yeah. then you know uh, you know transferred and processed by the by the back-end systems yeah so I, I, so then I guess it was more more connectivity based 
with express route and things right. like that first. Right. Yeah, yeah. When you modernise, did you then start to move into container-based things then, or did you just start carrying on with, I guess, also the data side? Because I guess you must have, given the size and the, well, I guess, given the, the length of time Marks and Spencer has been around, mm. the amount of data must be pretty large. It is. Um, over time, I guess. I don't even know whether you have to, regulatory-wise, how long you even have to keep that data for? Even if you have to, I don't know really what the... Um, we, we're, we're not, I mean, we're not as regulated as yeah. other industries, like financial industries are very much regulated. And I think they have to keep the data for, uh, I don't know, for seven years or something yeah. like this. I mean, we're not, we're not falling under the, re the regulations. However, we do hold ourselves, um, you know, to really high standards when it comes to data management and data governance. Um, I mean, obviously, um, we don't hold as many confidential and secret data as a as a bank or yeah yeah fair. Uh, so yeah so i think i think the the problem that we are hitting at the moment is uh, our, our our data our data storage is growing has been growing for so many years and when we move to the cloud if you take this data as is and you move it to the cloud the cost element of that migration is 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 horrendous yeah yeah right? very high uh, so as we move applications and their underlying databases into the cloud we have to think about which data has to go to a hot kind of storage which data has to go to some sort of an archival glacier type of storage mm -hmm. because we don't the application does not necessarily need it to transact um, and we are working with our data teams to be able to uh, to implement those uh, those pipelines and processes will you still do you think keep data on prem just from a cost perspective for um, I guess more like historical or like archive data because I guess if you've got the investment the capex investment would it still work out cheaper from a data side because I know the cloud like even with even with like all the best incentives that they can give you it yeah. can be like insane yeah, um, money can yeah. it sometimes I mean it's got phenomenal advantages but it's also not yeah. cheap to get them so um, do you think you'll end up leaving some things on-prem data-wise and then using kind of the most proactive um, current data, things that you need in cloud? Or do you think it'll just go all out and be like, actually, we just need to get rid of the data centers because there's a high cost either I way? I mean, ideally, ideally, we we uh, we want to get out of the data center business. Yeah. Right? That's that's our, you know, North Star, right? We, we're not in, in the infrastructure business. I think we should let the other players uh, who are doing a much better job at doing this. Um, I guess from my perspective, and, and speaking of experience, I mean, you always need that small residue of, of storage on premises uh, because there are certain data that will not be, uh, will not move to cloud at the same cadence as the other applications. Yeah. And uh, to your point, we have to, to keep that, that, you know, that small space where we can store some of the, you know, uh, some, some, some of the data on premises just in case, yeah. you know, um, and also, we, we do have um, certain use cases where we need the data to be on premises. Like for example, we have designers in you know in our offices in Waterside, and they they rely on some on premises storage, uh, you know, to, to work. Um, so we have to keep that those types of uh, those type of uh, data storage on, on premises mm. because I think you know latency and network connectivity could be an issue. Um, you know, when you're doing an, an, a design and you need to, you know, you need to pull the, the files directly from a, a closer location. So, yeah. uh, 
Um, so yeah, so these are the, the typical use cases. But again, I think that would represent something between 15 to 20% of our overall data estate. Right, I look okay. forward in, 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 our, in our journey to cloud. Um, but yeah, we, we, we and, and, and I think uh, the, the, the cost for maintaining that on-premises data is going to be much higher than the one in yeah. cloud uh, because you've got the facilities, you've got the on-premises cost, the associated, the heating, the energy, all that stuff just to keep that you know those appliances up and running. So uh, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Well, how did um, people take it? Because um, I guess there'll be a lot of people that like network engineers, yeah. maybe security engineers that are more like on-prem um, kind of focus just because that's just where they've come from so obviously yeah. what how they've understood security will be more on an on-prem perspective and not necessarily how to do it in the cloud because it is different mm -hmm. um, did was there like challenges there on like education upskilling kind of hiring resources like who's got the skills to know all about even the calf not everybody it's not equal mm -hmm. on like knowledge like some people know bits but um was that difficult to kind of do or was everyone quite on board and I guess what did that look from the people's side? You know, people understood the importance of moving to cloud and we understood the change of the paradigm of public cloud um, in so many areas, not just security. And I think um, the teams have started to um, embrace the idea that cloud has a different model for doing security, but the concepts, the underlying constructs of security are the same. Mm. You know, uh, it's all about firewalls and DDoS and those kind of, you know, things that, that, that speak to security folks. And, and it's just how do you implement them in, in the cloud, which is different, yeah. right? And, and I think one of the things that we've understood from the early days of doing cloud is um, the, the public cloud platforms give you access to all security services, but you have to do your piece in terms of configuring those services. I mean, you know, a simple example is, you know, if you deploy a database in, in cloud, you don't expect the cloud provider to automatically secure that database yeah. for you unless yeah. you, but it, it gives you access to all the features to do the security encryption, uh, data masking, for example, you just have to turn on the, the, those features. Uh, and, and yeah, so it's, I think it's a it's a learning curve. It's a learning journey for for most of our colleagues in different areas. But understanding the the, the split of responsibility between what we should do as consumers of cloud and what the public cloud providers do is is really really important. Yeah, yeah, because it's different per service, isn't it? As well, like some are like really SaaS like. Yeah. Some then the responsibility is more on the customer. I guess it just depends on what it is. Yeah. yeah. So it's not like you, yeah, it's not like a blanket. Um, I do think yeah. that most people do actually believe it is blanket. Is in like I think there is yeah. a misconception that um, pretty much most of it is like SaaS, mm -hmm. um, and everything's kind of there, and you just kind of consume. You don't need to worry about anything, um, which isn't true, obviously. But I think unless you've used the cloud, I think from a, from a high level perspective not everybody understands like how much you've got to retain as a skill in your business mm -hmm. to bridge what you're doing and what the cloud's yes. giving you. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think, yeah, that's a bit like of a challenge for most dogs. So I guess then, so the security teams was more like requirement driven. So I guess the requirements were the same anyway from security, how they were met was kind of just different solutions to yes. the same requirements. 
the ways of working now, like infrastructure as code and like policy as code, and it's not. I mean, I don't know if you went all out on all the cloud services or whether you started to do a bridge of like appliances mm -hmm. in the cloud. Because obviously, you could, if people like know Cisco and then they're like, um, yeah, all those commands you're used to running, you're not going to do anymore. This mm -hmm. is going to be like Terraform configuration or something like that. That's quite like, and Git. Yes. You know, and it's like, well, I've never dev'd, yeah. so I don't know Git and I don't know Terraform. Like, did that happen or did, did, they get upskilling that or was it more like DevOps took over those things and um, worked with the teams? How, how did it work? Well, it's interesting because um, it, it depends on, on the teams and it depends on, on, on the people as well. I mean, some if I, if, I, if I take the software engineer as an example, I mean, we've got brilliant people in the teams and some of them are very curious about how Terraform works. Mm -hmm how to set up an infrastructure as code stack and that sort of thing. And other, other people would just say, I want, I want to consume whatever's available to me from the cloud platform without worrying about how it works yeah. you know, behind, behind the scenes. So, so it really depends on the, on the level of uh, willingness, I guess, uh, uh, from, from, from people to learn your technologies. Because to your point, Terraform and infrastructure as code and GitOps and you know, all of these things that have come with cloud are completely different from a normal development or software development yeah, definitely. you know uh life cycle um one thing for sure is we've adopted you know those pract best practices so terraform is a standard and i mean yeah. in terms of deploying infrastructure i mean we, we almost deploy everything in cloud using terraform now uh GitOps is also uh you know something that we've adopted policy as code is also something we've adopted so we are really moving towards standardizing deployments into cloud uh by no uh, manual deployment everything yeah. is automated um, and, uh, and 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 yeah so and, and in terms of um, some some product teams some software development product teams have adopted some site reliability engineering practices right, as okay. well. yeah so, so they've got some platform engineers and these platform engineers are actually bridging the gaps between the software teams and the infrastructure teams in certain places um, but we are learning from that from that journey so we're not ro we haven't rolled out SRE across the board so we're yeah. still we're still uh, progressing on that on that space yeah is, is it like is it more platform bridge? Would you say it's true SRE as a principle, or is it more um, whether will they modify the application code to improve the operational efficiency? Yes. Or they will. So yes. there'll be like there will yes. be like full blown engineering. Oh, yes. in yeah, yeah, right, yeah. Okay. yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Absolutely. So, so um, I think I think the, the the interesting thing about SRE is uh, which makes it really hard to find. By the way, uh, <laughs> is you know it requires a good mix between software skills and infrastructure skills. Yeah. You know, so you have to find that sweet spot between you understand how the application development works, you're able to change, make changes to the code, but you also understand how the world of infrastructure. I mean, not being an expert, in, you know, by any stretch, but at least understand how to deploy a you know a full blown stack on 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 Azure or another platform and uh, in the event of, of an issue with the application whether it's a performance issue whether it's a bug you should be able to uh, you know to look at the end-to-end -end stack between all the way from the code to the to the infra layers yeah um, and 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 also be able to uh, collaborate with the cloud platform and the infrastructure platforms team to provide feedback 
right? Because mm -hmm. what we do uh, in a cloud uh, platform, for example, we develop some automation stacks and we, we want those engineering teams, software engineering teams to adopt those, those assets. Yeah. Uh, but we rely on their feedback to say, well, that component does not work well, or it would be good if you can add that particular service because there's you know, specific requirements. So having that continuous feedback loop between the software and the SREs and the platform teams, cloud platform and infra teams is, is essential. Yeah, really. how, how have you found the like op operational side of stuff? Because um, yeah, some sometimes like the platform, I don't know, I'm kind of got a bit of a mixed opinion on the industry because yeah. I don't feel like we've ever really solved. We've never really, you never, these things never really get solved per yeah. se. They just evolve yes. um, and there's like different ways to achieve things mm -hmm. over time. Yeah. Um, and then all the technology stacks are obviously like changing constantly as well. So it's not like it's just, it's gone from VMs to, to like containers, to functions, to now AI, to, you know, it's like, it's, it's always on the move. Yeah. Um, but there's like a bit of a paradigm of like platform engineering to provide central capabilities. Um, but what I've seen, and you can kind of tell me I'm like full of absolute nonsense if you want, but what I've seen is I think there'll always be a high focus on the delivery side because that's where everyone begins. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's quite easy to create things in the cloud. Like the creation of stuff is probably the most simplistic thing, but it's also superficially feels like, um, like that's the value. And then there's then another phase, like once people have the things, there's then the operalization of them all, right? So there's then the like, how has everything been managed with from a versioning perspective? You know, where are everybody? Like, what what is all the teams on from a version of this like Terraform module even? Mm -hmm. um, and like upgrading things like you were saying in the cloud where we're responsible for like moving people through certain versions of things or increasing the policy versions that might change over time and the drift that someone's on. And I think those concerns you don't hear much about in the industry like people don't really talk about them as challenges um but you know they're there but they never really get surfaced and in the industry i never really go to be fair like I, you'll you'll do research you're like no one really talks about it um they talk about the engineering side mm -hmm. but they don't talk about like the life cycle management side yeah. of like over time and i don't know if that's just because it's new um, and therefore those challenges haven't surfaced enough yet where they've become concerns or like what it is. I don't know what your opinion is, it's a bit of a random mm. thing to talk about. But Yeah, it's, it's an interesting topic because again, it ties back to uh, you can operate the cloud platform the same way you do on premises. I mean, you, yeah. you, ha you have to be cognizant that it, it's, it, it, it comes with its own set of challenges and its own new ways of doing things. And we have to, uh, and, 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 and this is where the well-architected framework plays a key role because it sort of gives you that blueprint of things that you have to do up front, um, you know, to be able to uh, op operate uh, the platform, your application and, and databases, whatever. Um, it gives you that security blueprint as well. I mean, obviously, you know, companies will have to add their own policies and layers on top yeah. of that, but at least you have a good, a good foundation. 
Um, and you soon realize when you look at the well-architected framework, for example, that, you know, it's not a matter of just spinning up that VM or spinning up that, you know, that, yeah, that database or that storage account, you know, and you have to do a lot, lots of other, other stuff to be able to, um, you know, to ensure operations. A simple, thing, a simple example is just backup and restore, really. Mm. You know, like you spin up a VM, if that VM goes down and you haven't put it in a kind of a resilience or a failover cluster, then your VM is gone, right? Data is gone. Yeah. Um, and and that, that's just one simple example among other things. Um, so, so yeah, so I think, again, the, the, land, the, the core foundation for any cloud platform has to take into consideration all of these operational elements. I mean, from operating the platform itself and the different cloud services all the way up to service management. So things like how to manage changes, how to manage incidents, how to manage requests, mm-hmm. um, how to allow the teams to quickly spin up and spin down platforms. So the self-service element, because one of yeah. the frustrations is, um, and I've seen many, many companies struggle with this, is because we add so many layers on top of the existing cloud service um, and any, anyone can actually go to the Amazon portal or Azure portal and spin up whatever resource they want. So this is the experience they would expect from the enterprise cloud platform. So if you don't give that self-service capability and the autonomy to the teams without the detriment of security and, and governance, yeah. is, you know, is, it, this is a challenge, yeah. a sweet spot, yeah. right? the sweet spot. So, um, and, and, and again, um, other areas are, are not being considered, uh, which I think are really, really important. So uh, things like uh, security as code yeah. and how to engage with the security teams at the right level to be able to say, okay, I can quickly deploy my applications, but within my deployment process, I do the due diligence from a security perspective to make sure I'm not introducing vulnerabilities in my code. I'm not introducing you know, some uh, vulnerabilities in the packages that I'm downloading mm. from from different sources. Is my container container safe or secure to run in that particular environment? So all of these things should be fully automated and policy based. Um, yeah. You know d- deployments, um, and and it's always that balance. You know you know it's it has to be secure, but at the same time we have we have to give autonomy to the teams. Uh, and similar experience they would get if they go and, and deploy things individually. So uh, who, who is? Because I think that's. The, I think you, I think you're spot on. I think the the issue, um, the reason I think the the move of like th- things that have been iterated on that are kind of coming from the platform team. Mm-hmm. It's like you're talking about, like we've got Terraform modules and mm-hmm. um, and obviously you can put those in pipelines and check against check off, yeah. check all the security and publish them right. Um, but as things are changing, you're then modifying those. And then you might have versions of the policies mm-hmm. that you're deciding also, because policy could change, right? So you kind of have things that are always like moving in time. Yeah. Um, but the responsibility of who who operationally is responsible for instigating the change to a line um, is the bit that's tricky, because the team that's impacted by aligning mm-hmm. um, wasn't the team that created the modules, right? That have now got the changes in them. Yeah. So you kind of have this like the there's like a delta difference between yes. like things things that are new, yeah. a bit like vendors do, I suppose, yeah. right? Yeah. They're publishing new versions of things, yeah. but it's down to the customer to kind of upgrade those versions, mm-hmm. and then you're like end of life, um, and you might be out of support or whatever else. It's mm-hmm. kind of similar in some ways as internal teams, like you're kind of vendoring in versions of things, yes. um, presenting them back to teams, yeah. but um, some of those teams 
I guess may not have the capabilities in them to upgrade or might not understand the impact mm. or um, and I think that's the difficult bit um, of the industry at the moment where it's not a solved problem because it's knowledge based yes I think at the moment yes. um, so there's like but I, I have a I kind of think that the teams consuming should also be responsible for like making the decisions of when they upgrade. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Because they own the users at the end of the day and the yeah. disruption. So, yeah. um, but it's a hard ask. I mean, it's tricky because it takes a lot of engineering to yeah. kind of get to that mature place. It's yeah, not, absolutely. It's not, yeah. And I think, I think the, the, the challenge comes from the fact that certain things can be managed centrally and certain things have to be decentralized. Yeah. Um, like, you know, for, for, for instance, there are certain things that we manage centrally because they don't add any value to the, to the teams that you yeah. like uh, upgrading a Kubernetes cluster from 1.24 to 1.25. Yeah. Um, you know that's something that has to you know to be to be seamless and frictionless across the board without having to engage with the, uh, with, the teams, know, with the teams yeah. but there are other other things where uh, you know the product teams or the software teams have to be involved in terms of defining the versions the configurations uh, and again it's always a balanced conversation yeah. because they they have they have they should have the autonomy to be able to make those changes but not to the detriment of you yeah, know, and and of governance, of rules and principles that we've applied, uh, or we are trying to apply in our in our platform. So yeah, yeah. Do you have like a blended mix of like some teams are very? I think you must do because you were mentioning some teams are more mature, not necessarily more mature, but some teams have more of an appetite. Yes. For the cloud yeah. than maybe others, and like and so I guess it must be a bit of a mixed blend, of. Yeah, I think I think in terms of uh, in in terms of our maturity, it's an ongoing journey. Actually, it's I mean, um, there are there are certain places where we think we are quite mature, but because this cloud platforms change all the time, it's difficult to say that's it. We're done. You know, we're finished with the cloud. Yeah. Uh, you know, take OpenAI as an example. You know, like at the moment, every conversation I have yeah, involved yeah. when talks about Gen AI and yeah. how to leverage Gen AI, and you know, and you have to, as as a as a technol as an enterprise technologist, you have to be able to discern facts from the fantasy. You know, mm. in so many different places, and and you know, um, and I'm sure there will be other you know uh, other things coming up in in the next couple of uh, you know years, months, whatever. So. Uh, we we should we shouldn't we shouldn't fall in love with our technology. That's the first principle. Yeah. You know, and should we be able to adopt a change whenever change is relevant to our business? And we should also keep an eye on what is it what what is the value that we add and we bring to our business by adopting uh, yeah. you know the, these technologies. Yeah. That's very interesting. And if if you were to go back to yourself three and a half years ago, yeah. Now you're three and a half years in, yeah. and you've seen like all the journey kind of where you are now what would you have done differently like if you were to if you were to give advice to your old self what would you what would you give that you might be like oh these things maybe i wouldn't have done it that way or um maybe there's things you've learned that you would have would have expedited other things that you would like to i guess advise yourself on historically to not do um or things to have done it's a it's a difficult question. Yeah, it's a difficult question because um, um, I mean, for me personally, um, I I I always I always think as a myself as a perpetual learner, 
right? Yeah. Uh, so I don't succeed or fail, I just learn, you know, I learn from, from, from things. Um, and I try to be more, I would say, um, empathetic yeah. in so many different ways, not just the personal empathy, it's the per empathy to be able to listen and to empathize with many people around you, whether it's customers, whether it's partners, whether it's colleagues, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And I think this is a, a, a tremendous source of learning from different people because once you once you start thinking about other perspectives, other ways of looking at things, you know, you grow up. Uh, yeah, true. You know, uh, and, and I think for me, this is this is really important. So I have no regrets. I mean, I made mistakes. You know, yeah, like, yeah. Like, like everybody else, but I think you can't learn if you can't make if you don't make mistakes. Yeah, I was just wondering if there was things that if people are going on the journey themselves now, whether there was like more for like an advice perspective of things you've learned that you'd be like, actually, these things are probably. The if I key put things. this in the context of our own transformation, uh, what would have done we would have done differently is probably uh, um, invest more in the landing zones and the foundations that probably yeah. um, uh, you know the the things that we've kind of uh, tried to repatriate from old environments, not managed environments, into managed environments. So if we have done that appropriately at that time, maybe that could have saved us some time and some pain. Uh, from that perspective, DevOps, uh, we would have probably had some interesting conversations with different uh, stakeholders within our business to think DevOps is not just about the tooling; it's about people and processes. Yeah, you know, it's a it's a collaborative contribution framework. Really, it's not you know, uh, it's it's not a library that you download and you put in your in your code, yeah. so to speak. Um, so having that common understanding of those concepts is 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 key. So probably I would have uh, communicated more, maybe spend more time with, with you know those stakeholders to explain those things. Um, and 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 one last thing I would say the ability to articulate the value of doing cloud, not from a technology perspective, but more from a business perspective. Because yeah. at the end of the day, um, you know, our, 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 our business leaders care about three things, cost, revenue, and um, risk. Yeah. So whatever you do, you should be able to articulate the value of technology in those three terms. Yeah. Right. So maybe I would have changed my way of communicating about the values of cloud in a non-technical terms, but more in a business uh, business kind of kind of terms. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. That's very really really that's good yeah. good advice because I think you're spot on there um, on those three <laughs> three things yeah. and what matters to a business. Yeah. And the industry is a little bit very our space is very te technically driven yes. and it's hard for a lot of technologists to connect the delta between what they're yeah. technically doing and the value that it's going to drive somewhere else which yeah. you're right yeah. falls into those three buckets most of the time revenue or risk or you know kind of like future opportunity sometimes yeah. as well so yeah. um but awesome thanks so much for uh, coming on it's great my to pleasure. like hear hear your story so thanks for that all right my cheers pleasure.